Welcome once again into the Soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos. This is episode 171. As always, a reminder to rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend. I will say this in advance. The audio may sound a little off. I will fix that. I didn't want to miss a week of the podcast. I got a new laptop, and all my audio settings and past shows are somewhere on the cloud. I can't find them. That's not a problem that you need to hear about, but you may it may hurt your ears. It won't hurt your ears. It'll just sound different to your ears, but we're going to get a podcast, and I got a great guest. I don't want to miss anything. Coming up in the business end, former U.S. men's national team star, jack of all trades, also current coach of Sporting Kansas City 2, it's Benny Failhopper. We're connected by the 2007 Gold Cup. We'll talk a little bit about that, but we're talking about developing players And we'll also talk a little bit about the U.S. men's national team, where they were, where they're going, how they compare to teams in the past. Very interesting conversation, as will be my commentary in Check Complete, Saudi League, talking about being a new world player, talking about joining the Champions League in UEFA, bringing new talent where they will draw that attention from UEFA. I'll talk about it a little bit and about the, the changing landscape in club football. Believe it, this isn't the Chinese Super League. This is much different. We'll see if the Saudis can certainly do it in what has been a very emotional time in that part of the world. We'll talk a little bit about that here. On the Soccer OG, I'm just so excited I can talk to you because I didn't think I was going to be able to with this new laptop. It's a beautiful laptop, but I still, you know, all these new things. And I'm not Mr. Inspector Gadget by any means. Enough of my yapping. Let's get into the pot. Oh, one last thing. Check out the Soccer OG on my YouTube page under my name, Max Bretos. Great show there previewing U.S. men's national team, Germany game, and the October windows, which we'll also talk a little bit about today. Let's get going. something good came out of my delay in recording this podcast is that I got to include the South American World Cup qualifiers. Just a couple reactions to what happened on a Thursday night. First of all, Brazil won, Venezuela won, which ends Brazil's 15-game home winning streak in World Cup qualifiers. And it happened to Venezuela. Now, I've talked about the expansion of the World Cup, and I'm happy about it because I'll hopefully get to see a select group of countries that haven't made a 32-team World Cup that I think would make the World Cup better. Not all of them. Venezuela's won. Nigeria. Uh, Perhaps Norway. Maybe a team like Albania. Some smaller European countries that have shown Kosovo who came close to qualifying for the Euros. I want to see that. Venezuela's at the top of my list. Obviously working in Major League Soccer. They have a MLS core of players which uh, is good for the league. That's certainly a secondary situation here. But Eduardo Bello scored in the 85th minute to tie it. Unbelievable. And I don't want to jinx it, knocking on wood firmly. But Venezuela looks with an expanded World Cup where South America will probably get seven teams. Bolivia and Paraguay and Chile look so poor that it's almost a lock that... uh, I don't want to say a lock, but almost a lock that Venezuela is going to make it. I don't want to jinx it, but amazing. The other thing I want to mention is Argentina, since the World Cup final, has not allowed a goal in seven games. 
I think four of them are World Cup qualifiers. Three are some obviously winnable friendlies. And look, Lionel Messi deserves all the credit. And he came off the bench to play in that game. Didn't start it. But he gets all the credit all the time. And it's, it's not fine. There is so much more to Argentina than Messi. And I think we're seeing that. They don't give up goals. They find goals with or without Messi. It's one goal here, one goal there. Uh, Lionel Scaloni is an absolute rock star, and Argentina is well poised. When Lionel Messi decides to stop playing, it could be after the Copa America. I think he goes to 2024. I don't think he makes it to 2026. We're seeing signs of that. Obviously, the injuries pile up, age, you name it. And I, this is, I would love for him to play in the 2026 World Cup because it would be incredible to see him try and um, defend that World Cup here on our shores. But Argentina are so good. I'd still be the favorite, I think, without him. I know that sounds crazy, but they are so resolute, deep, young, fantastic. Seven games without a goal in World Cup qualifiers against great competition. We're going to talk to Benny Failhaber here in the business end. Stick around for that conversation about development and the U.S. men's national team. I'm going to talk a little bit about, we also have check complete. I'm going to, I'm going to try and keep my words in a row there because I'm going to talk about the Saudi league, but I'm going to talk a little bit about what's happening um, in the world with the aftermath of the, the, attacks, the attacks from Hamas. Very briefly, because I'm talking about Middle East soccer. But first of all, I want to talk about the United States men's national team. Check out, I have an extensive video up on YouTube under my name, Max Bretos, about the October games for the United States coming up here on Saturday and then again against Germany. Uh, they're in Hartford, uh, East Hartford, and they are in uh, Nashville. This U.S. team uh, should beat Germany. This U.S. team, I believe, is better than Germany. That's not a, a, a statement about the improvement of the U.S., but they are improved. This is also a, a, a statement about the uh, the dip that the Germans are in. Two straight World Cups where they didn't get out of the uh, group stages. So a few items to talk about the United States. Firstly, listening to the interviews of players, it is so different. This is still a very young team. They're one of the youngest teams at the World Cup. They're passing that young team to heading into their prime guys that are 23 24 so 2026 uh in all likelihood will be the second of three world cups for guys like christian pulisic and weston mckinney serginio des Yunus musa uh, some of these guys may get four world cups or uh, maybe not because i think the u.s pipeline is going to get better and better we went through 2022 had a successful 2022 world cup making the knockouts uh, with a very young team that was wet behind their ears. I always like to mention that World Cup with Gio Reyna, where the the first qualifier, where the firework went off, and he shuddered, and we saw that this is, these kids are heading into this new stage. Well, they've gone through that stage. And hearing Weston McKinney address the media, talking about how he is familiar with these German players from his days at Schalke 04, how he has conversations with them now playing in Germany, to playing briefly in England, to playing in Italy. These are seasoned pros having gone through incredible experiences, what Christian Pulisic's doing. To a lesser degree, Gio Reyna, who has faced so much adversity and still going. A guy who has played 
in Germany and perhaps will be playing somewhere else very soon because of the fact he's not playing at Dortmund. I, well, one thing about Gio Reyna, he may start. Malik Tillman was the guy I wanted to see play, but he is out due to injury. Uh, I wanted to see if we can engage with the number 10, which Gio Reyna could do, but I don't know if you can throw him in considering he has not played at all. He's played one league game. So it would be smart for the U.S. because of, for on a PR level, because of all of the, um, you know, discussions and conversations about the Burhalter and the Reina saga, to get him in there so you can get that behind you. But you don't do it just to do it. I I, I, I don't know if Gio, Gino Reyna may start just because they don't have a, no Tyler Adams in that midfield, no Malik Tillman. The options are thin. The depth for the U.S. is not where you want it to be. But that is a work in progress, and we have time to work on it. And there's some injuries, and you hope with injuries. But then again, look, this U.S. team, maybe they'll never be 100% healthy. It's amazing that we have Pulisic and Reina healthy, right? Knock on wood with Christian Pulisic, because he has overcome these injuries. And as I've said on some of my YouTube shows, uh, I'm not saying he won't get injured, but he's doing. he has a routine or something, or he has new supervisors or advisors that are on some sort of regiment where he is treating his body better. Because the little injuries that popped up, which were getting really pedantic, are not happening. You know, and there's the big injuries you can't avoid, but some of these little ones, he's he's been healthy. A hamstring here, a little, he's been going. So he's been doing something differently in his regiment, and that has been good for his body. So Christian Blissick didn't do well in the last September window, but between those two, he's been exceptional, and he is on track to perhaps, I am banking on it, having the best season by an American player uh, in Europe. The bar is not as high as it should be, remember? Clint Dempsey had a couple good ones, um, but he didn't play for Milan. Clint Dempsey had the talent to do it, but that was a different time for American players. European clubs were not looking at American players. It was a novelty. It's not a novelty now. So, to close the personnel play, Gio Reyna, I think you bring him off the bench in the first game, and maybe you start the Ghana game. And then you get very, you'll have to play three number eights in that midfield, I think, with Luca Delatore, obviously Musa, and Weston McKinney. Maybe McKinney moves up into a little bit more of a playmaker role because he's done that for Juventus. He hits these incredible passes. It's been, it's been a joy to watch. Now, defensively, where the U.S., this is their calling card. Much like Argentina, they don't give up goals. I'm looking at Tim Ream because he hasn't had a good run at Fulham. And he is, what, 36, 37? We're looking at him as a, this is, he shouldn't he shouldn't be here. You know, in the sense that we should be bringing in these new young, all the older, 36. All the older players are out of the picture. Um, they're not coming back. This is only going to be young players. We could see it with this roster. Um, so Jordan Morris, Christian Roldan, Aaron Long, those guys probably not in the mix. So Tim Ream, I said, he, he keeps going until you see him breaking down a bit. And I'm not saying he's breaking down, but we've seen some signs. He did have the, the arm break, which is not breaking down by any means. That's a fluke injury. But it, it puts you on the sidelines for a bit, and that's hard to come back if you're an older player. Um, he is a legend at Fulham. 
But I'm keeping an eye on it. If at one point there's another issue and then they decide to go younger and that might create a chain reaction for the U.S. We got to be ready with our other defenders if that happens because we rely so much on him and I want to continue to rely on him. Chris Richards, our other center back, our star center back doesn't play at Crystal Palace. That's a problem. If we have our best defender, he has to be playing wherever it is, whether it's Crystal Palace, whether it's Bournemouth, whether it's in Italy or France. Shoot, whether he comes back and plays at FC Dallas. He's got to be playing. He's not coming back to FC Dallas. Don't worry. So there is that concern defensively. And then the fullbacks. Sergio Des has been solid at PSV, Eindhoven. Maybe not defensively, but going forward, which I think that is the way to look at him. Anthony Robinson, you lock him down. Anthony Robinson isn't here. What happens with that other fullback? Christopher Lund, who came in in that last window and he played a fair bit, seems like the obvious choice. I want to mention Joe Scally, who I know is a favorite of the the, um, the American fandom out there with all the Twitter accounts and the YouTubers. I was hesitant with Joe Scally, but I'm on board. And you know the reason I am on Joe Scally is because he has hit every threshold. He has hit every threshold uh, and nothing has been given to him. He has done it the right way, and he has checked off each one. So Joe Scally is a real revelation and a great person to be able to fill a gap there, whether you move Dest to left back and bring him in at right back. Um, there's some options there. But it looks like Christopher Lund is slightly ahead of him in the pecking order, more so because I think the type of player he is, a guy who goes back, up and back uh, really well, a big fullback Maybe a little more experience, but I, I would consider Joe Scally there as well. Um, in attack, we mentioned Pulisic. Tim Way is, is a lock. Falar and Balogun, after missing two penalties for Monaco, is scoring goals. Monaco's in first place in Liga. It's good. It's all good. And then you have Ricardo Pepe um, also being able to put uh, some spots there. It's a happy team. All good. Now, the Germans, the the media, the Bundesliga, Rudi Fowler, Julian Nagelsmann, have all made a big stink about coming over to the United States to play a game. Nine hours. It's like, <laughs> you know, I talked about a, a tweet sent by Charles Boehm. He goes, why are they clutching their pearls? Oh, my God, I have to do fly. We laugh and we go, well, the Americans are doing this all the time. And they're all coming from Europe. And we're used to it. You know, when they're playing in MLS, everything's a five-hour flight. Not everything, but you have five or six of those flights in a season. So I just think it's interesting we're hearing that because we know in getting games for the U.S. is more difficult. And it's a coup that we got Germany and Ghana after we got Oman and Uzbekistan. But no one's rushing over here. So if Germany's saying that, I think it's a wake-up call that the United States have to find some dance partners, whether it's with Combebol, which would be a no-brainer. I wish they could do that. They're not going to get it. They're not getting it from UEFA. UEFA doesn't need CONCACAF, certainly. doesn't really need USA-Mexico. They have everything on their shores. They're kicking everyone's tail in the uh, world football. The European championships coming up are going to be at a World Cup level. The European championships in 2021 was at a World Cup level. It's The ship has sailed. And we can't rely. And if the, the Germans are complaining, we can go, well, get used to it. They'll go, get lost. Beat it. They don't need to do what we... They don't need to play us 
The Germans will be fine. UEFA is not going to give us any handouts. Right now, Comey Ball is not giving us any handouts. Where do we get these games? Because if the United States are in a perpetual cycle playing CONCACAF teams, they will not develop. And if they get a game, they don't get enough games, maybe a, a, a France or an Argentina comes. If it's not consistent enough, they're not going to be prepared for the 2026 World Cup. And certainly moving forward, it's going to be a big issue. Everyone is aligning in the world of football. So we can sit here and give Germany grief, but they call, they're call they calling the shots, baby. They're in UEFA. They got all the games and then some at their doorstep. We do not. We're at a huge disadvantage. So the United States has to find a way to get those games. Or I, I'll tell you right now, the 2026 World Cup, whether you want to blame it on the players, whether you want to blame it on the coaches or the tactics, it's going to be a failure because they're not qualifying. They're not going to be ready. They need good games, and they're in a position where they don't get them. And this German pushback was very telling. So be wary. Be warned. UEFA does not need us. Let's go get some games. The Soccer OG. Rate, review, download, subscribe, tell a friend. We're heading into the business end. My friend, U.S. Men's National Team International. A, a guy who was the favorite of so many. Benny Failhaber joins me next on The Soccer OG. We are back here on the business end. A man that many of who have tuned in for U.S. Soccer know and love, certainly in Sporting Kansas City. They're very fond of him. He is the coach of SKC2, Benny Failhaber. Uh, I, have a, I have a lot to unpack with you, my friend. But first and foremost, are you loving the coaching gig? Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. And, and Mac, I got to say, I know that like we talked about it before we started recording that we're tied together since 2007, but... I should go in chronological order and start there. Correct. Correct. But the fact that you say my last name the exact right way is, is, is awesome to me because in, uh, in MLS next pro this last year, I think I had my last name be said in 10 different ways. So it's, it's good to be in the, in sync with you. I, I can empathize, man. Cause I have a very short name, but I have heard it so many ways and on the uh, Apple TV. God bless them. I love Apple TV. I watch, I'm on there all the time. <laughs> They have the closed caption person. And what they probably do is they get the names of the players and they put it in a database. So when Failhaber comes up or Bredos comes up, they hit it and it just comes up. So they have less to type. I don't know for sure, but this is what I feel. Okay. When they when they hit my name up every time, the word burritos comes up. <laughs> so uh, I've, I've become Max Burritos, which could be a great pitch guy for Taco Bell. So I don't know what failhaber you've heard, but I don't think it's worse than that. Uh, no, but that's a cool name, Max Burritos. It's best of both worlds, right there. I could make some money off that. Yeah. You'll know, be the guy, you know, the, the taco stand. It's Max Burritos. Kids go crazy. Yeah, you'll be I, flipping the sign on the corner. I, I can't do that. I'll try. I can't. Uh, so what's the worst one you've heard? I mean, Feelhaber. I remember when you were playing, people kept calling because I thought that was your name. I go, they call him Feelhaber. Yeah, I Fail Haber, Fail Haber, everything. I mean, and so the, the funny thing is, my name is Austrian or German, right? So when I played in Germany, uh, and I actually, I, I would be surprised if this is not the right way to say it, and they would call me Feilaba. Okay, that makes sense. Because that's how you say it in German, and that probably makes sense, right? Sounds but pretty. I, sounds pretty good too, by the way. It sounds cooler, <laughs> I think, actually. 
And I've never had a nickname because my name is Benny. So that's my name and my nickname and all in one. But when I was in Germany, uh, they actually used my last name as my as my nickname and they called me Filey. Oh, I that's, liked it. that's very sweet and tender. Yeah, but uh, it never, <laughs> never worked out in the U.S. I'll find a way to get that into a broadcast if we're, we're doing I, I don't they don't give me SKC games for whatever reason. I wish I did. Uh, but uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's interesting because you're, you're, hey, I'm Benny. I'm a coach. I'm here in Kansas City, middle of America. Yet you have the uh, most interesting background of probably any American player. You know, born in Brazil, played in where? Like five or six different countries when guys weren't playing overseas. You were really the trailblazer. I don't know about the trailblazer. Man, I could go back to like guys. Yeah, but a lot of different here, countries. Right? Like different generation even with like Winalda playing over there. Peter played over there. Um uh who was it somebody played in in germany for a while i feel like right before i mean there's there's quite a i know taylor played well, there. taylor was at 1860 munich yes yeah but anyways uh, uh yeah i went there but denmark scandinavian there. leagues i mean we, right. guys weren't playing in the premier league per se but they were getting those european opportunities in leagues that we've uh, we've all gone grown pretty accustomed to they've been great for the development of players would you say yeah, definitely. And, and now I think that there's, like you said, I mean, there are so many players playing in Europe now, and not only that, but having a lot of success. And and that was the hardest thing, right, for the Americans that went over there is to find that success. We And and I'm one of those cases where I went to Germany, and uh, for two years I played there and found spotty success during those two years, and then went to England, but played on, as of right now, still the worst team in Premier League history. Wait, is that uh, was that Darby? That's Darby. Eleven oh. points, but there's some teams that are trying to fight and 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 beat out our record this year. So we'll see. Hey, man, I I got a. I think you have a really good shot. I said that on a tweet, <laughs> and I'm trying to stay. They, ha- I'm trying to stay off Twitter. But I after all three teams lost again, and they're like seven rounds in or six rounds in, and no one won. I go, this might be the worst promotion class ever, and people went crazy. Oh, Luton and Sheffield and other, and then one guy, Luton beat Everton. He goes, we told you. And then they proceeded to all lose again the next weekend. And I go, all right. I don't know. I hope to be wrong, I, but I'm getting, I'm laying off that Twitter, man. It's not worth the aggravation. Yeah, I agree. Don't. Twitter, uh, you got to use it sparingly. Yes. My my least favorite thing on Twitter now is uh, there's these kids. That, God bless them. They're like 22, and they're getting in the business, and they're putting in the work. But then they give me this whole tweet about – why David Beckham was so good and how the 1990 Manchester United team was better than the, the, the 19, what the 1999 Arsenal team, whatever. Like, dude, you weren't even born. What do what you, so that's what, that's my, uh, my biggest issue, but that's fine. That's it's, it's very minor. Yeah. Let me, uh, let me ask you, I'm going to be all out of whack here with asking you questions, but you brought it up. Uh, we talked about playing in Europe and you're coaching a lot of kids from the sporting Academy uh, with SKC two that probably have European dreams. Certainly with Sporting Kansas City, when you're on the staff there, we've seen a nice pipeline from that from that club. Just Gianluca Busio comes to mind among a few others. Um, what advice would you give to a kid who wanted to to go over there and get the most of it and make it as good of an experience as possible? Yeah, look, I mean, I think that we've done a really good job over the years in terms of of finding talent and then obviously developing it and, and giving them opportunities. We, I, I, I don't think it was too long ago. If it was last year, or a couple of years back where we had, I think six uh, Academy products on the field all at once in one game or something like that, there was some kind of record. 
Um, so, you know, we, we've, we've had that pipeline in place. Obviously there's been some, some really big talents that have come out like, like a Busio. Um, there's guys that are playing in other places now in the league, like a Jalen Lindsay as well. They came yep. around the same time as, as, uh, Boos. Um, and, and there's guys now on the team that have come through the pipeline, you know, Cam Duke, uh, Felipe Hernandez, uh, John Pulse camp. I'm sure I missed Jake Davis, who's now, you know, a starter for, for our uh, first team. And so, um, we know how important that is, especially for a smaller market team that isn't going to go spend money like the LAFCs or the galaxies or Atlanta United. And we do need to find some players in our own backyard. Uh, and so, um, yeah, I think the, the, the advice that I guess I would give any players that if you're coming here is to try and make it as a pro on our first team. And, and, you know, obviously there's different paths that get you there and obviously different paths that push you on past that as well. But uh, we, we definitely have that ambition for every player that comes here. And so you, you got to be able to match that ambition. I'm, I'm sure you're taking a peek at the the national team and they have a couple games coming up here on Saturday against Germany. And then they play Ghana, but um We've seen them go through a, a very young team, go through a World Cup, a very different team. Um, your observation of that group or some guys that may have got your eye and said, this is a different kind of American player that we've developed and the maybe just the challenges that they face trying to uh, break through because they still are a very young team. What are your observations, I guess you'd say, about the, the USMNT, a, a, a squad that you uh, are alumni and again, yes, scored a very important goal and had some very important games for yeah, look, I think the so I obviously watched every game of the World Cup with the national team and um, don't know if I've seen every minute since then. But the quality on the field to me is night and day compared to when I used to play. Uh, we have we have guys playing in, in top leagues at top teams and being big parts of those teams. Right. And 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 those guys have an immense amount of quality. Uh, I think that they. We're extremely competitive in this in this last World Cup, and and I think the uh, the I think the expectation at this point for the World Cup coming here to the U.S. is tremendous. Um, the team should be not inexperienced like they were in yeah. in 2022. They should have tons of experience because it should be a very similar roster because of the age, you know, being young. Um, so you'll kind of have the best of both worlds where you still have the youth in terms of athletic ability and the ability to run and dominate in, in, from an athletic perspective. And you also have the experience and obviously the tactical, uh, improvement, let's say of, of all the players that were there and have done it and now are doing it at a higher level. And so, um, and, and you're playing your back in your backyard. So the fans will be there, the talents there, the qualities there, the experiences there. And I mean, I really do think that this could be the best World Cup for for the U.S. national team. Um, you know, I know that we made it to the semis in 1950, but uh, I think it's 19th, 1930, 1930. <laughs> but I do think that in the modern era, this, this could potentially be the best we've ever looked in a World Cup. I I hope I'm right in saying that. I, I would tend to think uh, you are. It was interesting because when they they have this new bid coming out for six World Cup teams, and they said we want to give the centenary to the South American teams. So I looked at the I went on Wikipedia and saw what the 1930 World Cup looked like, and I saw re reinforced. I remember the U.S. made it because that's part of our history. Uh, 
maybe we get games in 2030 as well or 2030 2030 yeah anyway but we were there as all a bunch of south american teams the cha- the world has changed a lot i want to uh i want to move to uh, mls next pro but one quick question because i agree with you 100 percent. i've been listening to some of these interviews by these american players uh weston mckinney and matt turner you can just hear the difference in the answers how they have experienced a world cup and they've experienced life uh playing for top clubs playing in important games and i that's going to that's going to treat them very well as they move forward because that's something you can't um, you can't just make up. You can't throw them in there. They'll they'll figure it out. You've got to go through that. And I thought the U.S. and Greg Brawl has done a great job of getting them prepared because they look and sound different, which is excellent. I did want to ask you one question because you are viewed as the technically gifted player. You, you talked about how the American vi- vision of athletic uh, being able to outrun teams, and that's something we we have to hold on to. It's really important. How have you seen the the technical elements, even with just dealing with some of the players that you have or seeing players in the league, because obviously this is a launching pad for players to go to Europe or or play for the top clubs in MLS and be successful here and play for the national team. Um, those technical qualities, how are we doing with that, I- embedding that, implementing that from when these kids start when they're really young to when they become pros? Yeah, well, looking at at our national team now, I think we have more players than we've ever had that are very high technically, you know, and um, you have guys that, you know, somewhat, I think, I think like a Christian Pulisic can be compared to like a Landon Donovan. It's, it's more of like a skillful player that does things with speed and whatnot, but there's so many other guys in the middle of the field. I mean, uh, you know, I think Tyler Adams is, is technical in terms of what he does. He plays simple, but he's, he's cleaning his passes I mean, Wesson McKenney, he's got an engine and he's got, you know, the ability to drive, dribble, pass. You have guys like Reyna, who's special in in, in, in special moments. I mean, Musa is another guy. He's got kind of everything. You know, he's very technical. He's got the, the strength and speed to get out of things. So, I mean, there's so many different players that kind of have that upper level technicality now to uh, – you know, to kind of marry with all the other things that we already have kind of as a nation, the, like you said, the athleticism, the speed, the relentlessness, the the mental part of the game. Um, there's just a more amount of players that have that technical ability. So, you know, it could be, you know, the golden generation or whatever, but I also think that there's a, there's a piece for me looking at here down, you know, not necessarily grassroots, but closer to it where, there's an emphasis on the, on the technical part where I don't know if there was, there probably wasn't as much like when I, when I grew up playing, I mean, I was playing AYSO. There's no coaches there telling me like, Oh, this is what you got to work on. And from the technical perspective. And so uh, the ability, like here in Kansas city in the wintertime, we play futsal. And I think that's, that's good because that's how I started playing when I was in Brazil at four five, six years of age. And in futsal, you just inevitably touch the ball so much more often than in a, in 11, 11 field. And so the ability to touch the ball more and, and, and different areas of your foot, the sole, the outside, the inside, even the, the toe poke, right, that that has been made famous by some Brazilian strikers. So uh, I, I do think that we're going in the right direction. And, and with that, there will be inevitably more technical players in our, you know, in our national team and, and MLS. And, and I think that's going to be a really positive thing for us in the future. 
Brilliant. Uh, the Brazilians are coming up with everything. They come up with standing on the ball. The one guy had a seal dribble. I mean, that's where we got to look to really take it next level. And by the way, you know, whether I talk to you or, or talk to Marcelo Balboa or Eric Winalda, it's great to hear these players from the past not be so open, excited about this next generation and uh, encouraging them to go to places where maybe the net past national teams did. And look, I, I'm a huge fan of what you did and then what the, the teams in the nineties did. And uh, I look back all the time and I'm just, um, I don't want to say punching above our weight, but they were, you guys were fearless and there was not a team that came around that you were like, Oh no, we can't, we can't run with you guys. We know that oh, we were definitely better than that Spain team in 09. Remember them? Yes. It's unbelievable. <laughs> well, you were <laughs> no, I mean, I, special. I, I don't know how we knocked them off their, their uh, perch there, but we did it that one day. But there's enough episodes of that, you know, even the, you know, whether it was the O2 World Cup, where it's just like this U.S. team is capable uh, on its day to to hit anyone off. And there's something I think uh, being American or uh, a, a spirit, whatever it is, plus um, the, the traits that they do have that make that possible. And now I hope they maintain that. And that's something that I, this squad, I think, has to maintain where it's like that. Right. I don't want to sound like. Hulk Hogan here waving the flag or anything, but where the U.S. that spirit comes through and say, "No, we're not. We're not going to accept this. We're going to find a way to yeah, have, work I it mean, out." Just having a chip on their shoulder. I think yeah. that's what we used to have. I, I mean, the guy that I played with that had always had that was Clint. I mean, yeah, he, even great when example. He was our best player. He still felt like he was disrespected. I don't even know how he did it, but it reminds me a little <laughs> bit when you talk about when you watch that's the so true. The, Damn the that guy, thing, right? With Jordan, like. Everybody knew you were the best player and still you somehow get, you know, you get motivated somehow by making something up in your head. But it is the chip on your shoulder kind of mentality. Let's talk about I mean, MLS Next Pro. I mean, you, you're you the head coach there. You're on the SKC staff as well. And you guys made the playoffs. You got to, I, I got to watch you on uh, streaming there. Where you get to pick your opponent. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about that format? It didn't work out that great this time around. But what do you think of that format? No, I, I mean, I don't mind it. I think that. In our league, MLS Next Pro, I think you have to understand that it's a league. It's like a guinea pig league is, is what I, I said to Ali Curtis, where I, I like the rules that we try and implement to try and improve the game. Um, and, you know, th this this was one of them, obviously, the picking your opponent, which my guess is where it originates from is the fact that in MLS, a lot of teams make the playoffs, right? You have nine teams this, this year making the playoffs, and in the past it's been seven or whatever. And if a team gets hot at the right time and sneaks into the playoffs and now they have to play the one seed and the one seed's like, I don't want to play them, right? They, they just won five of the last five games or the hottest team in the league. I'd rather play the, the fifth seed or whatever. You have the ability to kind of pick that. That's team a great and, point. Yeah. And, and so I think that's probably where it comes from. And, and I think it's an interesting idea. Does it mean it's going to stick or, or is it going to work? I, I don't know, but I, I think it's cool that we try things in, in this league and kind of see what, what works out and what doesn't. How have you seen, not just with your club, but I mean, and Next Pro too, it, just to some transparency, every club can use that however they wish. It could be for those reserve players to get games. It could obviously get guys who are injured to get games, or it could be we are going to fast track academy players. We're going to have a young team. We may not be as successful, but we want to get those young players. It, or in most cases, it's a mix of a lot. Um, yeah. How have you seen those opportunities for players and some success stories, which have given you all the, 
the the wind in your sails that this is something that's really important. I see it as something really important. We didn't have it before. It's great. I know I just hear at LAFC, Maxime Crapeau coming from injury. You plop him in there, you get these games. He is ready for MLS. Not to mention academy kids that I've seen in so many, which are, are ready. Man, we get so many kids under 20 in this league. And this is a great uh, outlet for them to get games when they're not playing with the first team. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a it's a fantastic league. It's a it's a an idea that I think we needed uh, over the last few years. And so, um, like you said, I think there's different avenues that teams utilize it for. Uh, you basically outline the three main ones, which are, you know, building a bridge from the academy to the first team, right? Because it's difficult to sign a 16 or 17 year old kid that's ready to play first team minutes. There's there's always the exceptions, but that's probably not the rule. So the ability to sign a kid at that age and, and get them professional minutes against young professionals, right? Because I think the average age of our league is around 21, 22. Um, but the ability to play meaningful games and in, in, in high pressure situations, at, at least, you know, for them at that point in their careers and see how they pan out. I think it's a wonderful bridge to kind of get them into the, you know, the made into major league soccer. And so that's one, the ability, like you said, for Maxine Crapo and other players in the league to get minutes uh, again at a competitive environment, uh, even though they're not necessarily ready coming back from injury, maybe not getting enough minutes on the first team for whatever reason. Um, another reason for that. And then obviously the the guys that you kind of sign to the second team, whether it be from college or guys that kind of fall through the cracks in, in academies or maybe in the USL or things like that, guys that maybe have something and can you get them in? Can you get them uh, in terms of understanding what your organization does and how you play and what system and see if you can develop them to some degree to now become at least a depth player in MLS. And so I think there's those three different avenues and um, you're probably doing a little bit of everything. And and for me, the thing that drives it is, is winning. I really do think you're, you got to try and win. Um, if you're a team that's only promoting Academy guys, but you're losing every single game. And, you know, I, I think it's hard for, for players to really develop when you're just losing week after week after week. Right. Um, same thing. It's not only winning if you're not using it for development for some of the young guys, but I do think that that winning really drives a lot of, of, of the things. And uh, it's kind of like a trickle down effect, but it, it is a little bit of everything. And that's why it is a difficult um, area to be, I think, consistent and successful because it is always changing week to week. It's not a, it's not, here's your team and do as well as you can. It's this week. You got these guys next week. You might have a different uh, set of guys the following week. You have some first team guys come down the next week. You have some Academy guys that, you want to try and give some opportunities to. So it is uh, even a daily thing at, at times where you're kind of reacting to certain things and it keeps you on your toes for sure. Oh, that's great. Hey, how's it been working with uh, Pete? The it's big man. Good. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I've been with Peter for since actually from the twenties. So I've known Peter <laughs> since uh, 2005 Wow. Um, and then obviously when I came back to the U S to play from overseas, uh, he had interest in me, but I went to new England. And then after that, he, he brought me here in 2013. We obviously, um, had five years of, of winning championships here. Um, and then the ability that he gave me to kind of start my, my coaching career has been, has been, you know, everything that I've hoped for. And I mean, the, I've always said the three guys that have really 
had a big impact to me when I was a player was was Ziggy, who gave me my first opportunity really to become what I became. Were, were you uh, at UCLA when he was there? Was that or no? That yeah, was he was not, but he was at the okay. 20s when I was uh, at gotcha. UCLA and he called me into the 20s when no one else would and kind of gave me my first opportunity at the World Cup at the U20s. And I mean, he believed in me before anybody else did, really. Um, so he was instrumental for me. And then uh, Bob with the national team and, and eventually at LAFC as well. And obviously Peter, which is where I had my most success as a player at the club level. So, um, yeah, those those guys were were big for me. And 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 obviously, I think that I I owe them a lot and Peter being one of them. That's great, man. And I, you know, I've been on the road with MLS to hear the stories of those guys, in particular, Ziggy um, uh, and it, keeping his memory alive and hearing stories like yours where he's made such a big difference to someone. I can't imagine how you carry that with you because uh, it's made such a big difference on your, your, your path in life. Final, yeah. final, I don't final know where quick. I would have ended up if Ziggy didn't give me that opportunity. So who knows? Really? That's great that you, but to think about that. So you stop and think sometimes and go where, you know, I think of Ziggy and how things could have been different and maybe not where I'd be now where I'm happy doing all, all right. the things I wanted to do. Yeah. Final question, man. I'm going to circle back to that goal because they bring it up every June. When I hear it, I get very emotional because I could take myself right back to that day in Chicago. And uh, as a broadcaster, we we're very uh, vain, right? We're <laughs> we we want to have those moments. We're almost as as good as those moments, and that one is my top. So not just because of how it's added, but because of the what was at stake, USA Mexico. Um, what is your recollection of that day? What was that thing about that ball comes to your foot? You're 20 some yards away and you love that over uh, to, to win the game against Mexico in a gold cup final. Was it Osvaldo Sanchez? Yeah. That's who was yeah. in goal. Right. Yeah. Osvaldo Sanchez, uh, <laughs> our, our favorite Mexican goalie. Um, Why? <laughs> uh, I remember was, didn't he, didn't he, I think we played, I wasn't on the team, but I think we played Mexico in February that same year and landed scored i think jimmy yeah. conrad and landed scored in arizona and he took a swipe at landed when he, he tried no i think he tried to kick eddie johnson when he was like running to celebrate with landed that's right so he's like i mean he's just that kind of person right that just is very angry and emotional during the game and does some crazy stuff that you you can a root sweetheart off the field <laughs> yeah, that i don't know but I, I wouldn't doubt it but yeah so um I mean, the, the things that I remember is almost you go back to the night before. Actually, I was roommate with Johnny Bornstein uh, during during the Gold Cup. And I remember telling him and again, it's not like I've said this very often in my career. And you definitely have these feelings every once in a while. But I, I'm specifically told Johnny, I'm like, Johnny, I'm going to score the game winner tomorrow. No. Yes. Really? I've told him that. Yeah. Ask Johnny that I taught. I, I'm like, I just feel it. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get the game winner tomorrow and we're going to win and whatever. Right. Like you say it and it's the night before it's like, yeah, great, whatever. I hope you do. And I mean, in the first half of that game, I didn't play that well and we're down one, nothing. And I remember thinking, I thought maybe Bob was going to sub me out. And I was like, God, I hope he doesn't sub me out, but he would have the right to, cause I didn't play that well and whatever. And Rico was warming up. Ricardo Clark. Rico Clark, yeah. And I'm like, well, it's either me or Pablo. I don't know who it's going to be, but it's either me or Pablo. Knowing that Pablo's a veteran and I'm a younger guy, I could easily see myself getting subbed out. And Bob's like, all right, Rico's coming in for Pablo. And I'm like, oh my God, I have a second chance here. <laughs> and when I see Pablo again, I go, second. did you did you see Rico warming up? Did you figure 
It was going to be you. I don't know if I saw him warming up or maybe I heard them like Ah, tell Rico to go warm up before it went in. I don't know, but I just had the feeling that I might've come out. And and obviously I I felt like I was given a second chance and I thought in my head, I don't know how much longer I have, right? Maybe if I don't start off this second half very well, I could be subbed off in the 50th or 60th minute. And I remember I started, uh, we all started the, the second half much better. I mean, we were on top of them. Um, and Rico was doing a ton of work behind me and I was able to kind of stay a little bit further high on the field and we had opportunities early to tie the game and eventually Chingy, you know, got the the penalty kick and Landon buries it and we all felt like we were on top of it. Um, and, and I mean, the actual goal, I, I always have a, I mean, th- there was definitely a blackout to some degree. Wow. But I remember the ball coming towards me and, and me just kind of shuffling over and he, I don't even think you can see this on the video because the camera goes to the ball. Right. So the camera goes to the ball. And I remember just kind of shuffling just to make sure the ball's coming right down towards me as opposed to kind of like towards my side. Um, and so I I got right underneath the ball and it's almost like catching a fly ball, but with your foot and the ball's coming down. And I, I as Sasha let me know that it was a cheerleader kick. Right. One of those like the Rockets. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, I mean, I knew that I made perfect contact with the ball and I hit it. It was like, as soon as it hit my hit my foot, it felt like it already hit the net as well at the same time. And, and then this is the part where I kind of black out. I, I'm certain that I ran towards the fans at first because towards the fans away from the bench, because I knew my parents were in the stands. And so I'm still young at that time. And I feel like back in the day when I would score a goal that big, I would run towards my family, but they're in a massive stadium it's like uh, I realized at some point, like five steps in, that I wouldn't be able to, you know, get to my family in the middle of the stands. So I made a U-turn, 180, and then went to the to the bench and celebrated with the with the team. And um, that's a little bit of a blackout right there. I couldn't can't remember exactly, you know, how that happened or whatever. But yeah, I ended up next to the next to the team, and it was wow. Uh, I mean, holding on there at the end. I remember Timmy made a big save at the end. Um, but yeah, two one. Uh, it was awesome. It was, it was, uh, it was fun. And it was crazy because it's, that was, that was right in the beginning of my career, right? It was like two years in, I was 22 at the time and it was just in the beginning of it all, but it was, uh, it was also the, the, the peak, you know, uh, it was going to be hard to beat that after, after that day. You still had a great run afterwards, but obviously that is going to stick out, but I'm so glad I asked that question. It, it's given me, it's completed me, Benny as well. And, <laughs> But it's like, I love the fact you said, I'm going to score the winning goal because there were some heavy hitters on that field, not just for the United States, but for Mexico. Yeah. Uh, and there he is, Benny, with that incredible moment. Uh, I know, Benny, it's been great to talk to you. Uh, I'm so happy that you're out there helping this soccer, this U.S. soccer thing continue to grow and evolve. And uh, I know that the kids there in SKC too. And eventually, wherever you go next, and that's a great club. And I'm always a big fan of what's Sporting Kansas City. I know Decision Day, you're going to be there seeing if they can slip yep. into the playoffs. Yeah. You're going to see now now if you guys slip in the playoffs if they had the 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 MLS Next Pro <laughs> format, I'm sure a couple of people would be leery about exactly. picking Sporting. They'll go, "No, yep. we'll, we'll get someone yeah, else." Yeah, we've been we've been a hot team here in the end. So if we can uh we can finish off hot and get a little bit of help, who knows uh, you know, it's it's the American way, the playoffs, it's all to play for. Right. Benny, thanks for joining me, man. It means a lot, and uh, great to chat with you. Best of luck the rest of the way with us sporting. 
Uh, we'll be back here on the Soccer OGs. We headed to check complete. We'll talk about is the Middle Eastern Saudi League a threat to the big European leagues? As has been reported this week. That is next. Time now for Check Complete, and we are focusing on the Middle East, in particular the Saudi League, which is uh, making a ruckus. Last month, there were uh, conversations about putting a Saudi League in the Champions League. And again, as crazy as that sounds, a reminder, the Champions League can absorb a Saudi team. It's a huge competition, and money talks, money talks. Dirty cash. You guys don't know that song. It was an old song from the 80s. It's actually a very bad song. I'm glad I don't know the lyrics. So, uh, dismissed by Alexander Seferin, the president of UEFA, um, shot down the Saudi League. The comparisons to the Chinese Super League, I, I hear that a lot, but this is very different. The Chinese Super League was not bringing in the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo and uh, Neymar and uh, Sadio Mane, I mean, Kareem Benzema, talking about Mo Salah. Long list of stars, and then a next tier of stars, and then next tier of stars. The Saudi League is not the Chinese Super League. If you take out these countries, and I know in a geopolitical sphere, it is, it comes with a lot of baggage. We're in the United States, and we don't see eye to eye with China. We don't see eye to eye with Saudis. We do. I don't know. Look, and this is this is such a delicate conversation because I know what's what just happened with uh, Hamas um, and watching the news. That part of the world, you know, it's very different for us. And there's a belief there's never going to be a peace there uh, in the Gaza Strip or with Palestine, or there are going to be states. It just doesn't appear that's going to happen. Um, it was very disheartening. Um, I feel, I feel for the Palestinian people, and I want them to have their their state. And They're kind of caught in the middle, but, you know, there's a lot of just social media where you see someone say their thoughts for the victims in Israel, and then all the comments are free Palestine. There was that BLM Chicago tweet that was pulled down where they had the, the Hamas terrorists in the, in the parachutes with, like, I don't remember what the message was, but as we support that, it goes one thing to support Palestine, it's another thing to support people in parachutes coming down and killing innocent people. Uh, so it is, I, I, it's very disheartening. And it's a lot of these young American kids, and I'm watching these campuses where they, th- these kids don't know what they're talking about. We don't know. We, we, be, to, to, there's, very two two different very topics here. You could support Palestine, but don't react to support Palestine because this happened. There's victims, innocent victims. It's nasty, and it the, the lines getting blurred with that. And look, we know that there's atrocities happening to people from Palestine, but these uh, college kids who think they know it all and just pop this in there. They, we're seeing this in our culture, and it's really unfortunate i can't stand it we (laughs) flesh it out and i don't think everyone's properly educated with what's happened there and it's very complicated and um there's relationships that are it's very very delicate uh but people kind of go willy-nilly and just blurt things out i i I don't want to talk i let this 
to the people who know about it. I am not one. I am in soccer and sports. I'm not one. I just don't. It really hit home to see those comments. And it was it was ins- it was so much. And there's anger out there, and I get it. But we'll leave it at that. But the uh, it's all tied in. Sports are connected loosely because the Qataris who had a World Cup and the Saudis who won a World Cup, uh, perhaps in 2034. Qatar, is, there are you know connections to some um, t- terrorist cells. So. Uh, if that is the case, if Qatar was involved or any of these countries were involved in harboring terrorists, they don't get a World Cup. They get sanctions, and that's what the West can do. And this is something that Middle East wants. They want to be a player in soccer. And I I want to say this about Saudi Arabia as I get back to the comparison to the Chinese Super League. Saudis have done an incredible thing for this sport. Um. Uh, Liam shoot Liam Weeks who joined me and he's telling me they're developing a women's league uh, with a lot of money so it'll be a lot of work for women to play professional soccer in the Saudi Saudi Arabia. This pro league they have is exceptional. It's not the Chinese Super League. And Alexander Seferin says they're pulling in players at the end of their career. Yes, in the case of Ronaldo and Neymar, but then I mean Jota's over there. He's twenty four. Malcolm, a great Brazilian player, 26. Ruben Neves is 26. Gabri v- uh, Vega, a Spanish star, is 21. And they're not just... I mean, the Saudis spent $700 million in that last market to bring in players. And they were from all walks of life. So it's not a retirement league. It's not. They don't have enough young players, but I get the feeling that's what they're going to... Focus on next. And money moves everything. For so long we were told about the European leagues that you go there so you can play for the big titles. The Premier League, the Champions League, the Scudetto, the Bundesliga Shield. That's what soccer players want. That's why players leave the United States, right? Or North America because they want to play for the big competitions to get better. Well, I'm here to tell you that's not for everyone. And more and more you're seeing more of the people go to the money and I don't blame them if I was in their shoes I would do it too if you can make 10 million a year or 50 million a year it's an easy choice and if you go to the Saudi league and you see the quality is good and it is a good quality then they're going to grow so I don't think the Saudi league is going to be a flash in the pan and when the Chinese super league finally hit a ceiling with money and they said all right we're not going The Saudis are going to stay engaged in this until they get a World Cup. And unless something weird happens in the world and the Saudis are dragged in, they're going to get the World Cup in 2034. So this league is not going anywhere for another 12, 13 years. It's a long time. Think about what the Saudis could do if in one summer they got all those players I mentioned. So I got bad news for Alexander Seferin. Um, there was a big transfer tax which did in the Chinese league. It's not did in. The Chinese league is still there and it's got some good players. Not like what the Saudis are doing that. There's a long-term investment here and a bottomless pile of money uh, that the Saudis have. Oil moves the world, baby. And we are all reliant on them. I think the Saudis will start locating the younger players. So who knows what that is if it's these great young Brazilian players, which have always been identified. Brazilian players are everywhere. 
and whether young or old, they're high talent and they're making their way to leagues that aren't the Premier League. Remember, the Russian League was heavily into the bringing in young Brazilians, or wherever they're from. They're going to identify that. And now you have this equity and clout because you have these rock stars there. Cristiano Ronaldo loves them. Not everyone. You have some Jordan Hendersons there who's who feels like... But you know, Jordan Henderson's not really the target, right? You're t- you want Neymar. And those guys are singing to the mountaintops how good the Saudi League. And it is good. The, the, the drawback for the Saudi League is the Saudi player. Do you have enough good talent? Like if... Let's replace MLS here. If MLS was doing what the Saudi League was doing, it would be insane. They have a base of American players, American, Canadian, Central American, that can fill the coffers out, where the Saudi cannot. Saudi is, uh, it's not a small country, but it doesn't have that level of player. And the world always has limits of foreigners. Maybe that gets adjusted a bit and it becomes a completely foreign league. This is going to be, and I don't, again, I think the Saudis aren't going anywhere. And the reality is they're really doing nice work here with their, their leagues and their national team. And it's not just players. And if you're talking about players at the end of their career, these coaches, Alessandro Del Piero, I mean, you talk about the know-how. Coaching makes players, international teams, everything better. And if you have that wealth of knowledge, look out. So maybe you don't get a Saudi league, Saudi team in the UEFA Champions League, but there were some warnings to European leagues by UEFA that the Saudis are up to something and they want to make their league bigger and better. And we've seen it with golf to some degree. I don't think a lot of people with the live tour and it's been splintered. Why not soccer? I'm not crazy about the idea because I, I work for Major League Soccer and we're a direct competitor for those players. And some of the guys that want to come to MLS because they want to come to the United States, um, we've heard it from Antoine Griezmann. He wants to come here. But what if the Saudis swoop in and give him a big deal? And he's about 33 or so. By the time he happens, he's like, I'm taking that money. When am I going to get an offer like this? I think it's it's a realistic thing. And it's going to hurt Major League Soccer. And it's eventually going to hurt the European leagues. It's already hurting some of the European leagues. Because people uh, in 2023 are soccer fans. They don't support clubs uh, as much as they did in the past, they support players. You follow Lionel Messi, you follow Neymar, you follow Cristiano Ronaldo, and on and on. It's a new world, whether you like it or not. The Soccer OG, rate, review, download, subscribe, and tell a friend. Great to talk with Benny Failhaber. Sorry about the late publishing of this podcast. We'll get back on track. Some big uh, big shows. Might have a couple shows next week as we wrap up Major League Soccer, but we have our eye all over the world. You know that. Thank you so much for sharing your time with me. And until we meet again, Placido Domingo.